Welcome to Lighthouse Church's Sermon Podcast. We pray you are blessed and encouraged with today's message. Good morning, church. If you would turn in your Bibles to Matthew 13, we're going to eventually get there. Matthew 13. I started a series last week called The Kingdom is Like, and I'm going to touch on it a little bit for those that weren't here. I pray that your hearts will be open, that you'll receive this word. But we started a a series on The Kingdom is Like, and um, after last week, like I said, I'm going to touch on it again, but I want you to understand how different the church is today compared to what Jesus wanted it to be, okay? And we're going to talk a little bit about that. Traditionally, the church now, this is the basically what we've adopted. It's let's get as many people as we can inside of a building. Let's build a you know new buildings and bigger buildings. And eventually when we have hundreds and hundreds of people, maybe even thousands, we consider it successful, right? Because we equate numbers with success. Now, part of that is true. Come on, right? Because that means maybe people are getting saved, correct? Hopefully we're not just taking from other churches that we're actually getting people saved. But the, re- the true reality of success, according to the scripture, is not big churches. It's making disciples, right? It's actually making people into the image of Christ, trying to transform them through the power of the word, through the power of prayer, through the power of the Holy Spirit, and making you look a whole lot like Jesus. Now, I, 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 stay with me. Have you ever met somebody that you're just like, wow, they really have... They're just a good person. They're probably a little bit like Jesus. Anybody ever miss, met anybody like that? Have you seriously? Well, I know you've met me, Taylor, but anybody else other than me? No, just me. Okay. Anyway, no, the joke is this. Listen, the joke is, the, the joke is it's hard to find people like that, right? But the reality is Christians, we should be coming into church and finding quite a few people that are starting to, at least in some aspects of their life, resemble Christ. You know, we're not going to be perfect. How many people know? If you're perfect, man, tell me how to do it. You're not going to be perfect, but there has to be some transformation taking place in your life over the, over the course of your life to transform to Jesus. So I want to tell you an experience I had. I um, was looking for a conference for my wife to go, a women's conference to go to. And, uh, you know, I'd been to several and I was just wanted to encourage her. So we found this one up um, at a church called Central Assemblies up in Horseheads. And I thought before I send her up there and make sure they're not a bunch of wax, right? Freak. Come on. You know what I'm talking about. Come on. I spied out the land. I went first. And so I went to a Sunday night service. And the pastor actually led the worship and he preached. And I'll never forget, I literally was... It's probably, I don't even know how to say this, the most anointed man I've ever been around in my life. And you know what I'm talking about because you ended up going to the conference. I remember sitting there after the service, and this is no lie, and I watched him as he was interacting with his people. And I remember saying to myself, this guy is probably the closest I've ever seen to somebody being like Christ, what emanated off him. You know what I'm talking about? Jesus, you know, we hear the words of Jesus, the red words in the Bible, but he didn't speak a lot but he showed a lot more. And so it was like, he didn't have to say a lot, but you just kind of got a sense. This guy is a lot like the Lord. And I remember thinking, which all sinners want to be, right? I want to be around this guy. Come on. See, see, this is the quandary that we have in the church, and I don't want to beat this thing up too much. But sinners should want to be around you because you have something that they need and they want desperately. 
Sinners should want to hang out with you, not because you do what they do. Come on, somebody shout me down. Duck, duck, goose. Run around the church. We'll really get a reputation. Those kids are running around the church now. Listen, it's not because you do what they want to do. It's because you have what they need. So guess what? I hate to tell you, I want to break the news. You're going to go through everything that the world goes through. The Bible says that in this life you will have tribulation. You guys are going to go through some really tough things. But what separates you from other people is you got the peace and joy of the Holy. Yeah, come on, girl. Come on. You got the peace and joy of the Holy Ghost. So guess what? They look at you and they're like, you're going through this. Now, this is a serious thing. I want to commit suicide. They're laughing. What is going on? What's going on? Tell me. What is happening in your life? Guess what? Open door. See, that's, that's what Jesus came. He came to open our hearts and then eventually transform us and change us into his image. So when I start seeing you, honey, I start seeing Christ all over you, man. You become a disciple. A disciple is someone that literally has been taught and looks like Christ. Amen? Again, I'm not bashing big churches. I'm not bashing big churches. I'm saying the goal should not be numbers, ultimately. It should be the depth of a person. Yeah, I should, my goal, honestly, as a pastor, is not to grow a big church. I was challenged with that the first week I became a Christian, and I had to make a decision. My job and my goal and my passion is for you to reach your maximum potential. Some of you are a lot harder than others. You know who I'm talking about. Some of you are just like, I want to, I just want to reach my potential. I just want to reach, help me. What can I do? Oh, really? I'm supposed to do that? You want to discipline me? I love discipline. Do whatever you want. The other is like, I ain't doing nothing. Make me. You're really good at throwing pity parties. Enough of that. Enough of intro. So last week, I kind of defined what the church looked like. And I said, when Jesus said to his disciples, I will build my church for those that were there. You'll know what I'm talking about. I will build my church and the gates of hell or Hades will not prevail against it. The word church in the original Greek meant ecclesia or ecclesia. That term was not new, wasn't made up by Jesus. It was actually a term that was made up by the Greeks that meant a council of people that would come together and determine the laws and regulations of the king or Caesar to that region. So he said, you know, they have their ecclesia over there where they're making the rules and regulations for the Roman Empire. We're going to have our government. And they're going to come up with their rules and regulations of the kingdom, the kingdom of God, right? So they understood perfectly what he was talking about. And then I secondly touched on in the gates of hell, the word hell, there's three different terminologies or Greek terms in the original language for hell. There's Gehana, which is the eternal suffering, which is eternal damnation. There's Sheol, which is that middle place of kind of waiting for the judgment of Christ. And then there's Hades, which simply means the grave. And so what he was saying is that my kingdom, my ecclesia, my church, my people, my council of people, my spirit-filled people will not be stopped even by the grave. I will not be stopped. My message is not going to stop even though I'm going to go to the grave. Come on, somebody. Say amen, right? So that's what the church is supposed to be about. It's supposed to be about a kingdom. A kingdom. Amen, right? So, to fully understand this, we've talked on this before, but I want to give you a little bit of a better descriptive background so you understand it. 
Ready? To fully understand this, you need to understand the Israelites' expectations at that time, which some of you already know this, but I'm going to be a little more descriptive with it. Jesus came at the right time to the wrong thinking. Right? So catch this. I'm going to put like this almost allegory together so you can understand what it must have been like. So put yourself in their place, in their shoes for a moment. Ready? Imagine the disciples before Jesus came on the scene, scene was living under the control of the Roman Empire. Is that true? Right? The Roman Empire. With Herod as their local king. You guys would know that. Being Galileans, they would have been raised in an area that was particularly frustrated with Roman control of their land. So you can imagine if that region was more frustrated than others because there was a lot of things going on, there would have been a lot of rebellious behavior going on. So picture the disciples specifically growing up in this region and the rebellious behavior going on. They would have witnessed, ready, crucifixions of innocent friends and family. There was so much oppression, right? They would have watched Roman soldiers abuse their power. They would have observed firsthand the ungodliness of the Herodian family, of the actual leaders. They would have seen all this. You could, have, you could just sense the emotion building up inside for their Messiah or their king and the kingdom to come on and kick some butt and take some names. Right? Now catch this, playing as kids, they would imagine their heroes of the past, Joshua, right? Gideon, come on, Caleb, Samson, David, as they fought the many different nations and armies that they faced. They would have heard their parents sitting around supper talking about corrupt corrupt government and oppressive Romans, the unfair taxes, the dishonesty and violence surrounding them. At the synagogue, they would have heard the rabbis talking about this great expectation for a Messiah. On top of that, listen... Ready? They would have um, they would have heard people or heard about people like Simeon and Anna or Anna. Do you remember them? They were in the temple and they were prophesying at that time. There were prophets at that time prophesying that a king was coming soon. And to make things even greater expectation, they probably heard rumors of a virgin birth. Come on, they would have sat there and said, "You know what?" We heard this, there was this virgin that gave birth in a, in a, in a stable. They would heard about angels appearing to the shepherds. They didn't keep their mouth shut. Come on, things travel just like it does in this town, people. They would have heard rumors of this king of Israel being born. So now you can understand why they believe their Messiah would be a great military leader, or at least their perception was going to be one that would come and save them from the oppression of the Romans, right? So with this immense, emotionally charged backdrop, i got to tell you this, if you get a chance to watch the series called The Chosen, watch it. Fantastic. Fantastic. Look it up. You can watch the first series or the first um, episode for free on YouTube. Fantastic. Can't say enough about it. Watch it. With this immense emotionally charged backdrop, come on, seeing friends and family members being crucified, seeing uh, 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 taxes. I mean, when we talk taxes, people, I don't think you realize you guys complain about taxes. They were being taxed like 80%. Sometimes more than that. That'd be really hard. (laughs) And a lot of times, it was even what made it even worse is the tax collectors were Jews. 
So they're actually, and see, we, we don't think that way now. We don't think much about American against American. But back then, you did not disgrace your brother or sister. Jew did not go against Jew because they, they had been persecuted so long by so many different countries that they stuck together. You know, like, I mean, I guess you could see it now, the division in our country, which is great. But back then, there was no such thing. So when a Jew would decide to tax their own people and they would take a cut themselves, which they did, that's why Matthew, the tax collector, was looked down on so poorly because tax collectors were despised and hate, hated. So some mostly charged background, Jesus comes on the scene, guess what? Riding a white horse. No. Born in a manger. A humble carpenter making furniture. Think about that for a moment. So, if you could put yourself into the place of the Romans and what they were, or with the Jews and what they were going uh, through under the Roman Empire, could you for a moment maybe have compassion, understand why they were expecting someone different? It's very easy to understand why they were looking for someone different. And why they, listen, if I could say it this way, why they struggle to accept Jesus as their Messiah. So he comes on the scene, right? And comes as a humble carpenter. And one of the first thing he has to do is what? Change their thinking. He has to start, <laughs> I can't even imagine. We think he picked a bunch of, uh, of fishermen and tax collectors and stuff like that, and he just made these disciples, and he sent them on their way. No, he literally had to go into a society that was expecting someone completely different, and then he had to retrain them and reteach them actually what the kingdom of God was. That's a tall task, and it was nothing like they expected. So in Matthew, it says, uses the phrase many, many times, the kingdom of heaven is like, or the kingdom of God is like, because he was introducing to them the concept of the kingdom, and it was completely, there's seven different, there's seven, seven different times where he says the kingdom of God is like, and each one was completely, if you look at it in this mentality, was completely contrary to what they thought it was supposed to be like. They were expecting this, the kingdom of heaven is like, you know, you know, legions of angels coming down and slaughtering the Romans. They would have been like, yeah, I can get into that. But it's like, blessed are the poor in spirit. <laughs> They're like, whoa, 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 this isn't, no, 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 no. You're asking, you're asking me to submit myself to this abuse? You're asking me when he slaps me on one side of the face to offer the other? You're asking me when somebody takes my, uh, my, my stuff, I give them more? That's what he was saying. And it messed with their thinking because they wanted vengeance. If you've been a Christian for any length of time, you'll know exactly what I'm talking about. Has anybody ever done you wrong? Anybody ever dubbed you wrong? And every ounce fiber of your being, you want to throat punch them. Okay, maybe two or three. The rest of you are just so holy. You probably dropped right to your knees and said, Oh, bless their soul, God. They just need you, Jesus. No. You want to lay hands on them, right? Not in Holy Ghost. And God then speaks to you and says, I don't want you to do anything about it. I just want you to pray for them. Isn't that a complete downer? We're, I thought we're talking honest today. Are we talking honest? It's like a complete downer, right? God says, Bless your enemies. I mean, I could maybe tolerate James with him saying, ignore your enemies. I could probably do that. But bless them? 
So you've got to understand, they wanted vengeance, and God comes in. Jesus comes in and offers a message that's completely different. And I'm going to cover two of them this morning. He had to reteach them. So in, the con- in this context, think about this, as I'm about ready to introduce two of them to you. Ready? Think about this. Each story highlights something about the kingdom, obviously, because it says the kingdom is like. What does it highlight? It's reception or rejection. The way it will impact the world, the way it's going to begin, the way it's going to spread, the way it's going to be received, and ultimately the judgment of God upon those who don't receive it. Come on, people, right? So it explains this, and he goes into great detail. And I love how Jesus did it. Jesus didn't just speak. He always spoke in parables. I think after a while that would really annoy you. So Jesus, what do you think about this? Well, there was a bird flying through the air. No, but Jesus, I'd just like to know about this. He always spoke in parables because he said, those that have ears to hear will hear it, but those that don't, won't. And he said it wasn't meant for some people. It was only meant for others. And so it was really interesting how he always addressed these earthly concepts, right? So I want to touch on the first one. I believe, is it, am I right? Matthew 13, 24 talks about the kingdom of heaven is like a man who sowed good seed. Is that correct? Good. Thanks for helping me out. All right. Verse 24, Jesus told them another parable. He said, the kingdom of heaven is like a man who sowed good seed in a field. Say, good seed. But while everyone was sleeping, his enemy came and sowed weeds among the wheat and went away. When the wheat sprouted, ready? When the good stuff sprouted and formed heads, then the weeds also appeared. The owner's servants came to him and said, Sir, didn't you sow good seed in your field? Where then did all the weeds come? Which I love this. The owner of the field was wise because he said immediately, he goes, an enemy did this. The servants asked him, do you want us to go and pull them up? No, he answered, because while you're pulling the weeds, you may uproot, uproot the wheat with them. Let both grow together until the harvest. At that time, I will tell the harvesters, first collect the weeds and tie them in bundles and to be burned, then gather the wheat and bring it into the barn. I'm going to jump forward to verse 36 because Jesus actually then sits his disciples down separately and explains it. He goes, then he left the crowd and went to the house. His disciples came to him and said, explain to us this parable. He answered and said, the one who sowed the seed is the son of man right? The field is what? The world. So we're talking about out there, not in the church. We're talking about the world. And the good seed stands for the people of the kingdom. Who are the people of the kingdom? You are. We are. Amen? The weeds are the people of the evil one, and the enemy who sows them is the devil. The harvest that comes, he talks about, comes at the what? End of the age. And the harvesters are the angels. As the weeds are pulled up and burned in the fires, so it will be at the end of the age. The Son of Man will send out his angels. Come on, this is beautiful. And they will weed out of his kingdom everything that causes sin and all who do evil. They will throw them into a blazing furnace where there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. Then the righteous will shine like the sun in the kingdom of their father. Whoever has ears, let him hear. There it is again. Now I want to talk about this a little bit and break it down for you, okay? This is describing what's going to take place in the world after the seed is sown. Jesus says that, right? He said the field is the world. The parable reveals that our sons of the kingdom, now catch this, this is important for you to know. There's sons of the kingdom, and there's also sons of the wicked one. There's sons of the kingdom, somebody, and there's sons of the wicked one, okay? 
that will come to fruition in the world, that will reveal themselves. So there will be ones that will spread the gospel of grace, which is us, and then there will be ones that spread the gospel of lies. Come on, somebody. Right. What is this telling us? It, it, it shouldn't surprise us when we encounter evil people. I'm going to preach to somebody right now because you need to hear this. It should not surprise you when you encounter evil people planted right next to you. Anybody know what I'm talking about? It should not surprise you when you come across in your path, at your job, come on, maybe even in your family, evil It's in the world. Evil people. People that are planted. It says they're going to be planted. And guess what God says? Leave them. That's not very fair. Because the kingdom I want, I want to take care of them. The kingdom they wanted, they wanted them uprooted. But Jesus in his mercy realized if they get uprooted, you're getting uprooted too. So he said, leave them. Ready? Now catch this. It should not surprise us that there is a philosophy spreading out there that man is innately good apart from God. Did you know that's being you know, basically spoken all over the world now? That man can create their own goodness. It's called humanism. Man has the innate ability inside to be good. How many people know that's absolutely false? You need a creator that is good in order for people to be good. It's just the way it is. Science proves it. Psychology proves it. You can go over and over and over again. People are like, well, how do these people that say they're atheists, they're good? You were born into a Christian nation for the last three to 400 years. It, our morals are based on Christianity, whether you accept Jesus or not. You are raised to believe that certain things are good. As this country turns away from God, guess what happens? More evil comes up. Why is there more shootings? Hello. Why is there more beatings? Hello. Why is there more people being arrested? Why is there more youth committing suicide? Come on, somebody. Because we've turned away from the source of morality. So this, this need, you need to understand There is going to be evil. There's people that the enemy has planted in your life. Come on. There are people that the devil has, come on, in his wisdom, planted in your life to take you out of the paths of God. And somebody say, that's not very Christian. God loves all people. Yeah, he loves all people, but not all people choose him. Some people surrender themselves to the enemy. They surrender themselves to the things of the flesh, to carnality, and they're used by the enemy to destroy you. It would be so wonderful that if every evil person would just stay to themselves. They don't. For some reason, they got this thing in them. When they're evil, they want to spread it. Okay, can I use a real basic thing that for you to understand? Here it is. Ready? Put a bad apple in a bunch of good ones. What happens? Amen. There you go. All right. Very easy, right? So in Matthew 24, when it talks about that kingdom will rise against kingdom, don't kid yourself. This is what's happening even right now. Kingdom of darkness against the kingdom of light. I need to say this because it's very important. These messages that we're preaching are dangerous messages to the enemy's camp, so don't take them lightly. Can I be honest with you? I don't think the devil could give a rip if we continue to meet inside the doors of the church and continue to just to have big services and large crowds and do our worship thing and jump and shout and all those things. What he's scared of is if you take what you got here and you take it out there. He's scared to death that you would ever recognize your full potential and walk in it. 
He is scared to death that you would ever grab a hold of the true gospel of the church, of who you are, and walk in it. Because then you become a weapon for good, and then you start defeating darkness. Stay inside the walls of the church, he said. Have fun. Have big offerings. Big build, build big Ephesus. He doesn't care. Do it. It's fine. But don't go out there. That's my property. Somebody say amen. We're like, no, we're taking the kingdom to the streets. Come on. God will gather the evil out of the kingdom and punish them. It says that, right? The parable instructs him. I know this is a lot of teaching and I don't normally teach, but you really need to hear this because this is important. The parable instructs him that the coming kingdom would not remove all the world and would not bring the end to the corruptive work of Satan. This is important. You need to understand this. The apostles were going to have to operate in a contaminated world. We need to know that. Why? Because it will help us to understand when crap gets thrown. When bad things happen to us, when hell breaks out, the biggest question I get asked is, why is this happening to me? You live in an evil, corrupt world. If you live in an evil, corrupt world, what's going to happen in an evil, corrupt world? Evil and corrupt things. The basis of evil, you need to catch this, the basis of evil is that you don't deserve what you get. The basis of evil is that things happen for just for, for the sake of evil. In the kingdom, catch this, there's a process. You sow, you reap. There's laws that God has put in place. You pray, you seek after his face, you knock, the door shall be open. Come on. But in, the, in, the, in, the, in the, the devil's kingdom, he just lets anything happen. There's no laws. He just wants the spread of evil to happen. So he will stricken kids with cancer. He doesn't care. There's no rhyme or reason. Somebody hear me. And he will test your faith and test your faith and test your faith and test your faith to the point where he'll try to get you to even question the existence of God. How do I know that? Because I've been there. Where hell's broke out over here and hell breaks out over here and in front of me and I'm sitting there going, God, where are you? And he has to remind me, mind me that he's picked me up and placed me in the midst of a valley full of dry bones. And then he says, you prophesy, you bring change, you bring life. God, it'd be so much easier if you just snapped your fingers. Yeah, it would, but he enjoys us being a part of it. What can little old me do? Slay giants transform people's lives we're just so christian it drives me insane i wish we could start over almost called a different thing because we're so christianized that we just mentally don't understand the bible says we overcome the devil by the blood of jesus christ is that correct and the word of your testimony. The hell you've been through, girl, will set other people free. And the devil's scared to death. But you keep it inside. Just keep it inside. Just don't tell anybody. Don't let anybody know that what, what you've overcome, what you've conquered in your life, because it'll set other people free. See, the devil's scared of what's inside of you. He's scared of your story. It will overcome him. It will defeat him. Just stay inside a church. Raise your hands Everything's going to be great. Well, maybe not you. The moment you take your bloody story to the streets, uh-uh. So he wanted to tell him in this parable, he wanted to say, listen, you're not going to go out there and they're not going to accept you. Matter of fact, he tells a story. There's times you're going to go to someone's house and they're not going to accept you. He goes, wipe off the dust and keep going. You've had a burden to make an impact and change. You have a burden. I'm speaking this to you. The Lord's speaking to me right now. You have a burden to make real change in people's lives. And it seems like every house you visit, professionally, 
as a job or everything you try to do, it seems like you're met with failure. God is speaking to you, wipe off your shoes, wipe off the dust, keep walking because there's a house about ready to receive you. And when it receives you, the blessing is going to come upon that house. Not because of them receiving you, but because you entered the house. There's a blessing on you. You hold on to that. You hold on to that. Wipe the dust off your feet and keep walking, brother. Keep walking. We, under, we need to understand we live in a corrupt world. We need to understand that things happen to us that aren't fair. We need to understand that there's times that it seems like the devil wins. Come on, somebody. Come on. Does it ever seem sometimes like he's just winning in your life? I mean, we call it this. This is what, what we call it. We go, we take one step forward and four steps back. Some of you, it's like one step forward and 25 steps back. You feel like that in your life? You know, come on. You know what I'm talking about. And you almost get to the point where you don't even want to take a step forward because you don't want to go back any further. So you just stay where I'm at. Live in a corrupt world with evil people that do not want you to succeed. The next parable, if you would jump to thir- verse 31, is the mustard seed. He said he told them another parable. The kingdom of heaven is like a mustard seed. I'm almost done here. Which a man took and planted in the field. Though it's the smallest seed, yet when it grows, it's the largest of garden plants and becomes a tree so that the birds come and perch on its branches. This is important for us to realize and understand because I'm telling you, this is going to be a house of giving birth. And some of you are like, I know, look at all the babies all over. I ain't talking physically, people. There's about ready to be a lot of birthing going on in this house. Matter of fact, I venture to say, y'all need to hear this, that you already are feeling some of the labor pains. And I'm not talking physically. I'm talking spiritually. There's some labor pains. There's some uneasiness going on because God's about ready to birth some things in this house. Follow me as I go through this scripture. Ready? I'm sure they had questions after the last per, you know, parable because they're like it's not lining up with their message. And then he lets them have this one. It reveals something about the kingdom, which is this. The kingdom of heaven, again, is like the smallest of seeds found in a typical herb garden over in Israel. Yet when the seed, after it's planted, it produces a plant that's larger than any other in the garden. You know that. The mustard seed is is such a small, small speck of a seed. But when it grows, it's big enough to have birds nest in the branches, right? Now, this is under, you, you need to understand this. A lot of times we talk about the faith of a mustard seed, right? Jesus discussed that. But you need to understand this, right? This is, this is important. This seed is very similar to what Jesus did. He entrusted the seed of the kingdom to a small group of knuckleheads. Come on. Fishermen, tax Isn't it amazing? He comes as a carpenter. He doesn't recruit the people that have the greatest knowledge, the greatest credentials. He picks those that are the throwaways to society. And he says, I'm going to take this little seed, place it in you group of knuckleheads, you group of throwaways, you group of people that aren't the most popular, aren't the wealthiest, and I'm going to let you begin to grow this kingdom. Think about it. I'm going to say it. He entrusted it to a small group of ex-fishermen, tax collectors, and political rebels in a city of a captive nation in the backwater of the Roman Empire. Come on. What good thing can come out of Galilee? What good thing can come out of Bradford County? What good thing can come out of Lighthouse? Come on, somebody. See, it didn't come in some grandiose way riding on a white horse. It didn't come. It came in a small 
from the from his very birth in a manger to the people that he chose to the town that he chose to the region that he chose it was nothing it was to be not even considered worthy and yet that's who god chose and that's who he's still choosing today i think it's ironic that a lot of you are still here in this region why there's nothing in this region yes there is it's called the call of god you know i've heard teresa's uh, testimony. She ben- mentioned a few moments of it in the last couple weeks, and she said, I knew I was called to Canton. You better know you're called to Canton. And I find it ironic that, I mean, I, my wife and I, we were ready to travel, right? We were going to go take the boats and the cars and the, and the planes and go all over the place. And God says, we want you to stay here and pastor. And I'm like, oh my God. <laughs> I don't fit in, God. I still don't fit in. I wouldn't want to be anywhere else. I love this place because I know God has a call in this place. And so he takes the most unlikely people. He takes the people that are not qualified. He takes the people that are the least likely to succeed. Come on. And he fills them with that little mustard seed and says, go. And it begins to grow. And it begins to grow. And what happens, come on, I'm I'm speaking to somebody this morning. You end up growing and outgrowing other people that had more Declared, oh, they're, they're going to be the most likely to succeed. They're the ones that are going to take over. They're the ones that are going to run businesses. They're the ones that are going to do this. They're going to do this, 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 and this. And all of a sudden, this little seed, that little seed, people look at that and they're going, oh, what's going to come out of that? Most people would say, oh, what is that? Just throw it away. I mean, nothing's going to come out of that. And that's what God was saying. Jesus was saying, I'm going to take what seemingly seems so insignificant. I'm going to plant it in a bunch of people that are so seemingly insignificant in a region that seems so insignificant. And I'm going to raise up a kingdom of God, a kingdom that will not be stopped. And I declare it again. I'm going to take a seed that seems so insignificant and put it in a bunch of people in Canton, Pennsylvania, in Bradford County, in this region that seems so insignificant in a region that, yeah, come on, right, that has nothing, no value, seemingly no no future, and I'm going to raise up these people, and they're going to transform and change the world. Bank on it. I'm so glad five people believe that. See, that's the problem with the message of the kingdom. We want to have church. I say, I want you to be raised up into who God has for you, and you change the world. I'd love to share with you some of the crazy thoughts that I have for this coming year. 2021, watch out. It's going to thrive. So what does the kingdom look like? And I close with this in the house. We, we just don't put any music or anything on yet. I'm, I'm good. I just want to close quietly here. So what does the kingdom look like for Lighthouse, for us? What does it look like individually and even corporately? Ready? I'm going to give you some examples of what it looks like. This is on a very practical level. Ready? Summer lunch program. How many people? A couple hundred? 300? 500? A couple of years we've been doing it. How many kids have we served? Hundreds. Hundreds. Summer lunch program. What's that? That's going outside of this place and being a blessing tangibly. It's practical. How about this? Ready? This is practical and supernatural. Awaken youth ministry. Whoop, whoop. Come on. They've had a conference they weren't able to this year because of, you know, but they've had um, conferences. They go into the schools and teach. Come on. That is putting feet to the message and going outside the walls of this church, right? Come on. How about this? Ready? Some fun. A church float. I know some of you don't like that. Too bad. 
I'm serious. I like being re- relatable to the community, and I, I like being able to be going out there, mix my shoulders with them, get around them, enjoy them. They enjoy us, and they realize that I'm not a tongue-talking freak. I do tongue-talk, and sometimes maybe I am a freak, but you know what? I'm pretty normal, especially in this region. Jeepers. Other regional activities. Breaking down stereotypical walls between the church and the world. Ready? Businesses that bring light to the community. I love how many businesses and business owners we have in this church. I love it. Come on. Right? Parachurch ministries like Christian yoga. What is that? What is that? And she, what is this thing you're doing right now? You're, you're doing this what? What's it called? Healing yoga or something? Trauma-sensitive yoga. Does anybody find that amazing? We're not going to just, we're going to do trauma-sensitive yoga to help people that have been through trauma. And we're going to do it out there in the world, in the midst of darkness. Come on. It's called the kingdom. It's the kingdom, right? How about this? We've done book clubs. We have small groups going on. Once in a while, I get a, a video from Ryan. He'll send me a video of their small group as the people are leading worship and worshiping the Lord. I love it, right? Ready? Regional meetings that we've hosted that literally have cost us thousands of dollars. Thousands of dollars. Like Denny Kramer and other ministries we brought in here. And we usually bring them in, not on a Sunday morning, so other people can be a part. Come on. That's called being a light to your region. Ready? Here's another one. Really crazy. Cowboy worship. Cowboy worship. I mean, that sounds like something that should be in Montana. You know, with the Fair, Fairview Farm and Guest Ranch, all the stuff they do. They just had this prayer train that went through their, their, their uh, farm yesterday, and I heard you could hear them yelping and shouting and praying and blowing trumpets and flugelhorns and all kinds of stuff. I don't know what they were doing. But that, that was on the Grinch, wasn't it? <laughs> that was <laughs> But no, they they have all they do some crazy stuff out there at the Harper Ranch. Come on, they had a youth event yesterday. It was fantastic. The youth got. I, <laughs> I got to tell you a funny story. So they told me that they're having a youth event, but they really didn't tell me what they're doing. I, they're like, we're gonna throw hatchets. I'm thinking, I know some of those kids. We're gonna we're gonna shoot shotguns. I'm like, oh, I know some of those kids. And we're going to ride horses. I'm like, oh, our insurance is all up to date. They did awesome, though. They loved it. All right? Keep going with other stuff. Jamie, amongst other musicians that have ministered at other churches. I know right now he's ministering at a church up in Corning, right? Helping a, a, a lady friend of ours. Big Flats. He went one time with Roy Fields and was on God TV down in, come on, Philadelphia. It was awesome, man. It was awesome. We've sent different people different places. What is this? This is called, this is not normal church, because usually normal church is collecting. We're just collecting, and we're filling up our treasure box. We're taking the jewels, putting them on rings and necklaces, and passing them out. Oh, come on. Come on. Yeah. Ready? Uh, The Craig and Tanya show. How many people watch the Craig and Tanya show? Oh, come on. Are you serious? Tune in. It's hilarious. You ought to see when they start bickering at each other. It's awesome when they disagree. Raise your hand if you've ever watched it before. Raise your hand. You need to tune in. It's hilarious. When do you guys do it? Sunday's, and it came out of COVID, and they just kept doing it because people, and people get on, don't they? They get on. My wife tries to catch it every time. The Craig and Tanya show. Is that what it's called? No, it's definitely a show. Ready? One of my favorite things that we do that blesses the region. Ready? 
light the fire, harp and bowl. If you were here at our last service uh, on Monday, it was lights out. It was amazing. It was You guys, the youth were on fire. You guys were, I said it last night, you were lit. They were on fire. Man, I tell you what, it's so cool when the youth get on fire for the Lord and you just sit back and watch them burn. And I close with this, last but not least, we can't forget this, and we're going to touch on this in the next couple of weeks. Dustin's going to be preaching here along in the series, but we can't forget this. The most important thing that the kingdom brings, ready, is the manifest presence of God. It's the number one thing. It's the thing that we, we desire. It's the thing that we try to host here. It's the thing that we uh, just have a huge heart to see because honestly, can I be honest with you? My words, my intellect, my giftings will only take you so far, but the Holy Spirit will take you places that we can never, ever take you, can transform you into somebody that we can never, ever transform you. So our desire as Lighthouse to be a kingdom church, what that means is be a church that helps you, facilitates you, offers opportunities for you to go to new levels in God where you find your identity, find what you're made, uh, made to do, created to do, and then walk in it because you'll never have as much fulfillment, contentment, and satisfaction than when you're walking in the perfect will of God, walking exactly how you want you to walk. That's what he wants. That's what he wants. That's what we desire. And and honestly, I say this, and I know you're probably tired of hearing it. We're just starting. That's why I say the birthing thing. It's just starting. There's going to be ministries that are birthed out of this place that we haven't even thought about yet. There's going to be things taking place in the coming years that we haven't even thought about yet. And some of you are so itching to get out of the region. Stop it. You're staying. You're stuck. You're here. Get over yourself. Right? Stand with me. I'm going to close. I'm a little after, a little late today. All righty. I'm going to do something that, we, that all ministers tell you not to do. I want you to grab somebody's hand. They tell you not to do this, especially in COVID. Oh, across the aisle. This is what I want you to do. And I, you don't have to do it out loud, but I want you to pray for your person on your left and then pray for the person on the right that God would work through them. Basically, what my message is, work through them to fulfill the mandate, the call in their life. Would you do that right now? Just pray over them right now. Close their eyes. Hit the lights if you would a little bit. And just say, just say, God, fulfill the call in their life. Fulfill the call in their life. I know some of you personally, and I know that you have not even begun to see what God has for you. And you know it, and I know it. So fulfill it. Fulfill the call. Fulfill the call. Keep praying. And here it is. No matter how much it hurts, no matter how much it costs, do it. Because we want to change our region. We want to see our schools change. We want to see our businesses change. We want to see lives change. Father, as long as we continue to hear about kids killing themselves, we haven't even begun to do what we need to do. So we pray that right now. Pray for both people, person on your left and right. Say, God, 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 God. Maximum potential. We have no, no time to feel bad. We have no time to be depressed, no time to be discouraged. It's time that we share the gift that we have inside of us with the world because they need it. We got it. They need it. Just for a few more moments, pray. Amen, amen, and amen. 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 God bless you guys. Have a wonderful week. Be the church, the ecclesia, the kingdom. God bless you. Thanks for listening to today's sermon. For more information on our church, 
check out our Facebook page or our website, www.lighthousecanton.com. Have a great week.